You hear the intro, it's time, it's time? I know, what the fuck's going on here? Why the hell are you guys dropping an episode now? It ain't Sunday. It ain't Saturday for recording. Like, what the hell's going on here? Well, if you listened to the last episode, we said we had a classic pay-per-view coming soon. Which we watched. And we have our things that we're going to talk about it, but guess what? We got ourselves a double header. Like, we have a we have a BOGO for you guys. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> but nobody's buying anything. Don't worry about that. That's just, you get one free, you get one free at this point. Yep. Wow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> just, yup. Yeah, so... Two reviews for the price of one. Free. Yep. Free, free 99? Free 99. Free 99, okay. Free 79. Why is it going to be 79? Because we're still developing... <laughs> You should have just went with 49. Just be awkward number at that point. Ah! Anyway. <laughs> so we've got a doubleheader classic pay-per-view review. We are doing WCW Battle Bowl 1993. And then when we had picked this other show, it was what we were going to do following Battle Bowl. But we, with the with the Battle Bowl pay-per-view, we were debating on it and said, you know what, let's do the other show at the same time. And we ended up drawing, doing the whole finding out what show it's going to be, and we pulled the Horror Show at Extreme Rules 2020. <laughs> when we pulled that, we both audibly groaned. Because... Just, nobody remembers anything of that show other than Eye for an Eye and Swamp Fight. It is PC, just think, it's PC era. It's pandemic PC era. Performance Center era. Yeah, with NXT guys. Ugh. As it, the, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, we're, we have some things we have to say about that. It won't take long because, spoiler alert, we're not going to go too deep into Battle Bowl. Because there's not really much else to talk about. It's bes yeah. Besides the fact that it's an awful, it's an it's awful a fucking, really really, it's an awful concept. See, I feel like it had a good concept, but it just can't be a, a an entire fucking show. Yeah, no, it cannot. So we had Battle Bowl ninety three. For, for a little bit of background of what the Battle Bowl is, mm -hmm. first of all, it used to be called, it was later changed to, a, at a later date, to Lethal Lottery. Mm -hmm. But the concept of the well, no, Battle Bowl... no, that's what Bowl, it's called. That's what it's called when you're drawing the names of it. It's yeah. called Lethal Lottery. And then the Battle Royal, Battle Royal is called the Battle Bowl. Mm -hmm. The concept of it is, like, 
strange bedfellow tag teams are randomly drawn together, mm-hmm. and the four people that are drawn wrestle in a tag team match, and the winner of the tag team match goes on to later in the night be in the Battle Bowl. Yep. And the Battle Bowl is for a fucking ring. It sounds like sounds very familiar of something nowadays, doesn't it? It sounds, if you guys haven't connected the dots, it's literally just the Dynamite Diamond Ring Battle Royal with 52 extra steps of it in front of it. <laughs> in a nutshell, AEW yes. actually does this better because they don't have an entire process of finding out who fucking is in this Battle Royal by spending the entire night doing fucking strange bedfellow tag team matches. It is quite possibly a unique, but also incredibly disappointing concept. And it's also very frustrating. Oh, it is. Because as we get into the match card, I, I told my brother this while we were watching, and we're looking at the match card now. This match card is nine matches. Eight of the nine matches being tag team matches, and three of the eight tag team matches going under ten minutes. They all all the yeah. rest go above ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you guys right now that are listening, not a single match on this card was entertaining. Not at all. It was not very enjoyable at all. Like you had people who were feuding, teaming up, which I understood that you were going to go there. But you also had people that were not feuding, teaming up, but also fucking arguing with each other. Yeah. Like, there was literally people that had no correlation with each other whatsoever, and they were arguing with each other just because they weren't tag team partners. Yep. In a nutshell. You had the people that were actually feuding, which made sense as to why they would fucking, you know, bicker back and forth, having to team up. But then, like, they'd fucking work together and put aside their differences, but then proceed to argue again. So it was just like, every, when you had those kind of tag matches, they weren't even still interesting. They it weren't. Just, it it was... just really was a very poorly executed, like, concept and a poorly executed show. And I think a lot of the problem is, like I said, the matches are just too uninteresting to be this long. Yes. So... Show kicked off. We were in the Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola Civic Center, which apparently holds like what ten thousand people. Th- yeah, yeah. The, the the stadium itself holds ten thousand people. Eight thousand if it's in if it's a if it's a hockey arena. Yeah, and they and only they had, had seven thousand. A seven thousand straight attendance, which isn't the worst, but you know, it's it's not the worst like attendance. If they'd only got like three thousand people. In a ten thousand like person yeah. venue, that would have been pretty rough. But again, they got seven thousand. That's pretty decent mm-hmm. for this. So they had the when they sent it up to Mean Gene. Mean Gene and this, I'm I'm guessing French woman, supposed to be French woman. She seemed like she couldn't hold her accent together. Her name was Fifi of all, of course, because you know. When you think of French women, you got to think of Fifi, because, you know, 
our dogs are apparently their dogs are named that their people are named that their buildings are probably named that they probably have a canal named Fifi they probably have some sort of food dish named Fifi wouldn't fucking surprise me every fucking time we do lethal lottery to find out who the participants in the tag match are you get these absolutely cringeworthy fucking segments of Mean Gene being an absolute fucking virgin the entire time, standing next to a woman going, Oh, she's, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I just can't stand standing next to her the entire time. She's so beautiful, and I'm just like, Oh my god, these are fucking awful. They were, they were so bad. Like, wow. It was so bad to watch fucking Mean Gene Okerlund. Just act cringy like, as uh, shit. He was literally acting like a incel. He was like, oh my god, a woman. Oh, oh, oh no, breasts. The woman didn't even have any breasts, and he was freaking <laughs> out about her breasts. Oh my god, it was just, they were so rough to get through. Like, I was like, oh my god, and we have to do this for fucking eight tag team eight matches. Eight different times we cut to Mean Gene Okerlund and Fifi in some sort of pernicious fucking... 32 fucking draws, that yep. means. That is... Awful. We cut to them eight times to see them in some sort of permicuous per fucking situation. Like one Fifi was like down towards Mean Gene's crotch, sucking his cock Suppos on live. Supposedly tying his shoe. Don't forget that. Supposedly like tying his shoe. Yeah. She was. She dropped something. Was checking that th he's like, oh, I, I gotta drop down and tie my shoe myself. So he put his head near her crotch. Like it was just awful to watch the entire time. Yeah. So the first draw for the first tag match was Vader teaming with Cactus Jack, who apparently, from what commentary had told us, had just recently gotten to a freaking match with each other. By the way, Vader is the WCW champion. Yes, right now. at the time. Who, again, saying they just got into a fight, like they just had a match recently, beating the snot out of each other, because what the fuck do you expect out of Cactus Jack and Vader? Yeah. So they have to team up to face Charlie Norris, who I have absolutely zero fucking idea who this was, and Kane, freaking one half of Harlem Heat, which is, I believe it was Stevie Ray. It was Stevie Ray. This is when... Harlem Heat had these weird fucking names. So I'm like, the last time we watched a Stevie Ray match as a singles wrestler, it was awful. Yep. So I can't even imagine watching this in 93, even though it was freaking, you know, Harlem Heat. You're watching Stevie Ray wrestle singles... But teaming up with somebody that we don't even know who the fuck this guy is. He's just teaming up with this random guy, Strange Bedfellows, to face the world champion and Cactus Jack. Which at one point, again, the, sh the freaking match starts off immediately. Vader and Kane, freaking Stevie Ray, make their way out. Before Charlie Norris... Charlie Norris made his way, like, through the crowd or something, because he was already on the ring apron. But at one point, just Vader and Kane, all of a sudden, are beating up Cactus Jack. They beat up Cactus Jack, and it's just like, well, I understand now Vader and Cactus Jack are going to have some beef here, because, you know, 
they've had matches with each other now, so it makes fucking sense. But then later on in the match, they're working together like they don't have any fucking beef, but then they start beefing with each other again. It was like, oh my god, this is what this tag, this is what this these matches are going to be like. This is freaking awful. And then even Kane, Stevie Ray, was like arguing with Charlie Norris the entire time, and I'm like, this is really fucking bad. Like, yeah, it was really bad, and the, the, the finish was Vader power bombing Charlie Norris to the point where Vader fell over and I was like, whoa, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, Charlie Norris just, like, just for, uh, like, mental reference, he is not a big dude. He's not heavy looking. He is literally skinny but, like, medium height. So the fact that he fell over, it was all because Vader, he Pulled him back. You want to know what's the bad thing? Bomb. He says he's billed at 6'7 and 285. He did not look like he was 285. No, he pounds. did not. And he also says here that he was his he spent the majority of his career in Minnesota-based Pro Wrestling America, where he became a five-time heavyweight champion and a two-time tag team champion. If I look at those credentials right there. And look at him there. He did not look like a world champion to me. That is not a fucking person that I would expect would eventually become a world champion. Not at not all. even a world champion. A five-time world champion. Ugh, God. It was just, this match was rough. Yeah. It was really stupid. Like, watching Stevie Ray argue with Charlie Norris for no fucking reason. Charlie Norris wasn't really that good to watch. Vader and freaking Cactus Jack fighting each other, then working together, then fighting each other, then working together, and it was just like, this isn't helping this tag match at this point, like, and just think, you had to watch eight of these, eight of these fucking strange bedfellow tag matches. Don't worry, this was, this was one of only three tag team matches that went under ten minutes. Yes, seven minutes and thirty-four seconds this went. With Vader getting the win for him and Cactus Jack with a power bomb, and it was just like, it looked like Charlie Norris kicked out at the end, and Vader, with the referee, just was like, "Okay, I'm getting this over with. I'm pinning him. I don't care what happens." Just Which pin I'm him. pretty sure was the, the the same ref the entire night. Yeah, I think the the referee was the same ref for every for every match. It was freaking nuts. Which I couldn't tell what referee it was. By but, the way, the commentary team was Tony Schiavone and Jesse the Body Ventura. <sighs> Freaking Jesse Ventura. Anyway, so off to, so right off the bat, not the greatest freaking way to start the show. The next one with the drawings, we get Brian Nobbs, one half of the Nasty Boys, and, and the, also one and half the current tag team champions at yep, the time. One half of the WCW World Tag Team Champions. Teaming up with Johnny B. Bad, a.k.a. Mark Marrow. Brian Nobbs was accompanied by fucking Missy Hyatt, of all people, who absolutely looks like a fucking rodent. <laughs> I am serious. She legitimately looks like a sewer rat. I was like, oh my god, she is fucking ugly as sin. Like, holy shit. Teaming up to face Eric Watts, who apparently is the son of Bill Watts. Yep. 
and Paul Roma, who I believe is a former Horseman member at one point. Yep. So, okay, first time getting to see Eric Watts, first time getting to see Paul Roma. Sounds interesting. And both of them were okay. They were solid for what I, from what we saw of them. Brian Nobbs is Brian Nobbs. I swear to God, the guy was wrestling drunk <laughs> the whole entire time. And Johnny B. Bad. My one fucking main issue of this match, which apparently went 12 minutes and 56 seconds, my main issue of this almost 13-minute match was every time Johnny B. Bad got in the fucking ring, it was like a restart. Nobs would go in and beat the shit out of people of whoever the hell was the legal man at the time, and the match would just feel like it was kept, like it kept going. But as soon as Johnny tags in, every time, it was like a reset. He'd have to lock up. He'd have to put him in a side headlock. Have to take him down. Have to do the freaking side headlock with the pin. He'd have to kick out. And I was like, yeah. it's a fucking... Tw we're like five minutes into this, and I feel like we're restarting. It was like, every single time Johnny got into the ring, it was like... Headlock, headlock, takeover, just sitting there on the mat, working him, slow it down, kid. And it was like, oh my god, like, holy shit. I was like, I feel like we're just, again, I felt like we were just restarting the match in the middle of it, over and over and over, and I'm like, holy shit. This is, again, this was rough to get through, because again, how do you get into a match feel like you're progressing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, rewind, it started over. It's crazy when you could say the best part of a tag team match was Brian Nobbs. Yeah. Because Johnny B. Bad just slowed everything down. Yeah. Eric Watts couldn't sell for the fucking shit of him. <laughs> and Paul Roma literally did nothing this say, Paul Roma match. felt like he was irrelevant in this match. He didn't do anything. The entire time. He really felt like he was irrelevant this whole match. So Nobbs and Johnny B. Bad get the win. And advance on to the Battle Bowl match. Because, again, these the winning teams are going into the Battle Bowl. Yep. We then get the Shockmaster, which, my God, every time I hear the Shockmaster, I can't get over the fucking wall incident. Every time I hear the name Shockmaster, I just picture crashing through the wall. Toot, toot. Helmet off. Toot, toot. That's all I have to say to poor, that. Poor Fred Ottman. He had to deal with the Shockmaster, Tugboat. Typhoon. Well, Typhoon, at least he was, like, part of, like, something relevant. Yeah, but I guess you could he say was that. A he was a Tugboat. <laughs> no, he was a Tugboat captain. There's a difference. No, he literally was a Tugboat. Do you see him fucking coming out with a fucking smokestack? Smoke popping out all over the fucking place? Why do you think he goes toot toot? No, that just means he's driving the boat, pulling he, the horn. He, he's he, going toot-toot. The, the conductor of the boat doesn't go toot-toot. <laughs> the boat goes toot-toot. <laughs> that fucking Fred Ottman was a tugboat. His uh, character was a tugboat. Yeah. <laughs> so we get the Shockmaster, and the draw is him every teaming... Every time. Every time you say that name, I, I just... I just I just remembered Sting's voice going, The, the Shockmaster! Yeah, fucking... Crash! Helmet off! Pyro. Fucking... So the Shockmaster teaming up with Paul Orndorff. Okay. 
exactly my fucking just extent of how I felt about it. Just okay. Mr. Wonderful, may he rest in peace. To face... Also rest in peace to Vader, I forgot to say. Yes. Best big man, honestly. If, if I feel like the best big man in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. So. To team up to face Ricky Steamboat and Lord Steven Regal. Good old youngster William Regal. Right? Now... And boy, was he young. He looked so young. The parts of this match I actually did enjoy. This match went 12 minutes and 26 seconds. The parts in this match I did enjoy were the Orndorff and Steamboat interactions, and even the little bit of Orndorff and Steven Regal we got. Which I thought was the... the seeing those two, all I kept thinking about was, have these two ever fought... Except, like, has this been their only interaction with each other ever? Like, because if it is, like, Regal can at least say he got to step in the ring at least once with Paul Orndorff, which is crazy. Now, the other parts of this I hated with a passion. Orndorff and Shockmaster somehow seemed to work pretty decent with each other. Like, they had a few spats with each other. It, it, it's almost like... If you're in a strange bedfellow situation, you don't automatically have to hate your tag team partner. So Orndorff and Shockmaster actually didn't really argue with each other that much. They did a few times, but not really, like, frequently. Yeah. But then you had Steamboat and Regal. Steamboat legitimately looks like a fucking moron, because everything Regal does... Steamboat's in the ring, yelling at the referee and yelling at Regal, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm like, what is Steamboat doing? What is Regal doing? What is he doing? He's getting in the ring, bitching at the referee, going, well, what the hell are you doing? Why are you not doing this and that and all this other stuff? And I'm like, Ricky, are you okay? What are you doing? You're literally in there yelling at fucking Regal while he's wrestling fucking Orndorff. Like, that's, you're not wrestling. I'm clearly, you're clearly wrestling, but you're not wrestling. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing? And like, Tony Schiavone tried his best on commentary to like, make it known that the way it was, because Regal at the time was the U.S. champion. Mm -hmm. And uh, they made it, known that the reason why they're arguing is because Steamboat took the title from Orndorff, and then Regal took the title from Steamboat. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that those They did talk about the fact that I believe Steamboat was nailed with the umbrella yeah. that Sir William is carrying, which is accompanying William Regal mm -hmm. at one point. So I understood this whole thing. But it's like... Again... He's actually, he's in there wrestling. Like, why are you trying to yeah, like, get all the at, attention at for yourself point, here? At some point, you have, if you're in a situation like this, at some point you have to look at yourself and go, you know, I may hate this motherfucker, but I have a chance to go into bat, like I know the battle royal, there's no, there's no odds for this battle royal. Winning this battle royal ultimately means nothing. You get a ring. Yes, you're getting a diamond ring. Big but if you deal. really want that ring, you gotta put the, the the differences aside. Because if you win, you then have a reason to kick the shit out of them in the battle royal. Mm-hmm. 
That's what I'm saying. Literally, and, and nobody, everybody, everybody in this in these tag matches. Yes, some of them have beef with each other. Some of them don't. But it's literally like you're just working together for this match to be in a match later on where you can beat them up. Like, yeah. But everybody fucking argued. Everybody fucking bickered back and forth. Nobody worked together barely. Like, it was the same thing for every tag match. And I just didn't understand it. So the Shockmaster and Paul Orndorff end up winning this. I was like, with after Regal eats the pin, after Steamboat gets in a tug-of-war with Sir William for the umbrella, he pulls it away, Regal tries to take a cheap shot, he finally, like, after he pulls the umbrella away, he, like, threw it to the side, Regal went to hit him with it, and then Regal ends up missing with the umbrella. Steamboat hit him with the umbrella, and then of course Regal ate the pin via Shockmaster with a big with a big splash. So again, it was just a bunch of fucking bickering. When it's like clearly all you have to do is work together for at the most ten minutes, and then you eventually get to fight each other anyway. So it's like, well, I didn't get why nobody could put those differences aside for one, for just a, that little bit of time to have a fucking time where they were going to fight each other in a battle royal and they could have actually got the ha their hands on each other. Yeah. And it's like, you would think with a match that had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, William Regal, and to an extent Paul Orndorff in mm -hmm. it, would be somewhat, like, like interesting to get into. But yeah. it just wasn't... But again, like I said, Steamboat's interactions with Orndorff were great. And then Regal's interaction that he had with Orndorff for a little bit of time was great. Other than that, it was pretty much like every tag match that's happened so far. Just more bickering and more nobody freaking, like, just this strange bedfellows nonsense. And that's really all it was. So our next match, we see King Kong, which... I had no idea who these who this was at all, which we found out is part of the Colossal Kongs as a tag team. Yep. We see King Kong drawn and teamed with Dustin Rhodes, the natural, good old natural, to face the Equalizer and Awesome Kong. So it ended up being King Kong on one side and his tag team partner, Awesome Kong, on the other. Now, firstly, uh, the Equalizer is Kevin Sullivan's brother. Yep. I think his name is Dan or Dave. It was just Dave. Dave Sullivan. But also, with the, the situation with the Colossal Kongs, this isn't the f first, or th this isn't the last time that they did this, where they split two tag teams yep. and put them on opposite sides. Yep, there's another match later on where they do the same thing. Yep. So, this was really nothing much out of it. Like, I, the Kongs didn't touch each other. They would not touch each other. They would not fight each other. Yeah, they refused to fight. This, this match pretty much consisted of King Kong in the ring and the Equalizer was in there for the longest time. Dustin went in, and then the Equalizer came in. Like, Awesome Kong and King Kong barely touched the ring. They barely were in the match. Yeah. The finish literally sees them kind of interact with each other 
to where the equalizer has one backed up in the corner, and then I believe it was King Kong ran in, and it's like him, he squishes the equalizer between his brother and himself, but it's like in the process, the two brothers smack heads. They like smack heads, the one goes down, and then the equalizer eats a bulldog from Dustin Rhodes, and it was over. This was the shortest mat tag match of the entire thing. At 5 minutes and 55 seconds. Yep. It was just, like... I tried so hard to get into these, like, all these tag matches so much, and it's just, like, every one of them, it just got more and more just dull. Just watching it, I'm just like... How do you how do you get into this? It's just so much of the same thing. That's the that's the one issue we had with this show is the everything leading up to the battle royal is the same thing. Yeah. Over and over and over for eight fucking tag matches, it's the same fucking thing. And the the bad thing is, it wasn't around this time. It was later on while watching the show. I think it was around like match seven. We st- I started looking through the history of the Battle Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then I found Slamboree 1996. Which I hope to God. It was a 16 match card. One of those was the Battle Bowl. One Battle Bowl, a world title match, a cruiserweight title match, a US title match. And the rest were tag team matches. For the Battle Bowl. For the Battle Bowl. And I, it, the only difference is, is that the winners of the tag team matches earlier would then fight other winners to see who would go into the battle bowl. I dread. I exactly. I, I dread if I we fucking, ever draw that show. I plead to never get Slambery ninety six. I am terrified if we draw that show. Legitimately terrified. So. We now, we've gotten through the shortest match. We now go on to Sting, drawn, teaming with the other half of the Nasty Boys, Jerry Sags, with Missy Hyatt. Oh boy, I get to see Missy Hyatt again, of all fucking people. Teaming up to face Ron Simmons and Keith Cole, who I had no idea who the hell Keith Cole was. All I know is he has a brother. Twin brother. Yep. And I think, just... I think they said his name was Kent. Something like that. This match went 13 minutes and 14 seconds. Keith Cole legitimately... Him and his brother look like a jobber tag team. They yep. look like they have nothing... They are nothing important to the tag team division at the time in 93. They legitimately look like they're just jobbers to feed two random-ass tag teams. Like... They had matching just basic orange gear, white boots, and they looked freaking just like this. They, like, were enhancement talent they pulled off the street. Yep. Like, oh my god. Ron Simmons. It was good to see Ron Simmons wrestling, because, you know, other than the Farouk stuff, I haven't seen his older stuff beforehand, so it was good to watch him wrestle. Him and Sting had some interaction in this match, and it was great. Jerry Sags is Jerry Sags. There ain't much to say about the Nasty Boys. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the Nasty Boys are definitely Hall of Famers. It's, you know, they're they're part of wrestling history. They're definitely Hall of Famers. But it's like, 
watching them wrestle singles, just yeah, they're watching them wrestle one at a time, not with each other. The, is the, the chemistry just, is all with each other. And that's it. Legitimately, watching them separately was just they looked like completely different people. Yeah, it's just again, this went thirteen minutes and fourteen seconds. Sting and Jerry Sags get the win where Sting hits a scorpion in the corner. Sags makes a tag off the scorpion and hits a big-ass elbow on Keith Cole, pins Keith Cole. Yeah. Him and Sting move on to the Battle Bowl. We then get Ron Simmons just beating up Keith Cole because, sure, like, you know... They've like they've interacted this entire time. It's just they didn't just randomly get thrown together. Like well, the one thing I think you missed was uh, I think it was Jesse Ventura on commentary. He he basically compared like he he said that Ron Simmons with the newer guys were a lot less lenient and more hard on the new... He was basically hardcore what Holly? Hardcore Holly was. That doesn't... Wow. During the Ruthless Aggression era. Oh, okay, well... He would basically beat the shit out of the new, out of the new guys. Well, take that, Hardcore Holly. Ron Simmons was you before you were you. <laughs> that just fucking tongue-twistered everybody. So, yeah, it... Sting and Ron Simmons were the best parts of this match. Other than that, again... Repetitive. Same thing. Just even a Sting match. Even a Sting involvement and a Ron Simmons involvement. Just, again, this all felt the same. Yeah. It just, again, it just feels the same. We then follow up with Ric Flair, which I believe before we got this, before I jump into this, we had the, the, the part where they were announcing the Starcade location. Yep. Which immediately I go... They, mean Gene is standing there with Vader and Harley Race and saying, like, we've got all these places here, like, literally, at this arena, like, that are wanting Starcade to be there. And they're saying places like the UK and Japan and all these other freaking places just so they can announce it to be somewhere else. I was like, whoa, wait a fucking second here. I'm like, how, why, why would you even bother flying all those people out there to announce that their freaking spot is going to be somewhere else? <laughs> it's like, cool, we, you, you offer us to come to Japan and have Starcade. Well, guess what? We're going to over here. Like, fuck that nonsense. Like, <laughs> but then we get Ric Flair, and honestly, one of the only, the, the most... Un, not even unexpected, I can't even say. This is a Ric Flair move to the T. Using his fucking political power backstage to get himself a world title match. He literally, as soon as he heard me Gene go... Starcade. He goes, Starcade is going to be in North Carolina. His, 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 like, nature boy senses went off. Shit out of contract. And was like, yeah, uh, here you go, Vader. Go ahead and sign this. We're going to have a world title match at That's Starcade. literally what he said, too. He literally just walks up with a contract and goes, since we're going to North Carolina, sign this contract here, and I'll see you for the world title then. And I'm just like, if that isn't a Ric Flair move to the fucking T, <laughs> that is a Ric Flair backstage political bullshit right there. Like, fucking hell, man. 
And then it's like, knowing what happened at that Starcade now. Because well, the thing is, is that Vader was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sign this. And Rick goes, well, if you put the title against me and win, I'm done. My, my career's over. 20 years. And we're like, oh, well, I guess Ric Flair wins. <laughs> yeah, right? As soon as you hear, oh, I'm putting my career on the line, most of the time, when it involves a title, the person who's putting their career on the line is going to win. We, I think we've all come to recognize this trope now. So we got that, but then we get Ric Flair drawn as a participant for these tag matches, teaming up with stunning Steve Austin, okay, with Colonel Robert Parker, to face Two Cold Scorpio and Max Payne. Not a fucking ounce of a clue who the hell Max Payne is. Like, uh, Max Payne went on to be uh, Man, Ma Man, Man Mountain Ma Rock in WWF. Which, to be honest with you, I don't remember a fucking thing about. Well, because that was ahead of your time. That, I mean, that was ahead of our time. Pretty much. like. Well, was a, well no, well, that was in 95. You, I was you were, fucking... You were three. I was three years old. And I was still old. semen in the balls. Pretty much. So, yeah. So, Man Mountain Rock, the, eventually, the future Man Mountain Rock... Team with two cold Scorpio to face stunning Steve Austin and Ric Flair. Now, again, Flair and Steve Austin, again, start freaking bickering back and forth with each other immediately. Scorpio and Max Payne didn't really, like, do a lot of bickering with each other. I don't think they bickered like. at all. I think they did, like, a couple times. They just kind of, like, accepted the fact that they're randomly chosen. Like almost all of these tag teams should have done. I'll tell you right now, though, I was not imp I was not fucking into Max Payne at all. Because he did nothing. No, he did a couple times, but it wasn't anything that got me to go, "Wow, I can't wait to look at future Max Payne fucking matches." Like, if the, those even exist, <laughs> probably do exist. Where they'll find them, who the hell knows? Two Cold Scorpio and, and Stunning Steve Austin interactions were great. Flair and Scorpio freaking interactions were great. Again, I'm not a Ric Flair fan at all, really. But watching him and Two Cold Scorpio was an interesting like combination to watch, so I was down for it. I thought it was I thought the two of them together looked really good. Steve Austin and Scorpio together were good. Max Payne was just there at this point. Flair and Austin win Flair put on the figure four on Max Payne, ended up winning the match. So, Flair and Stunning Steve Austin win in 14 minutes and 31 seconds. So, at this point, this is the longest match on the so far of the night. So, now Flair and Stunning Steve Austin are in Battle Bowl. Tag match number seven. Second to last. Rick Rude. Rick Rude gets drawn teaming with Shanghai Pierce, who would eventually go on to be Henry O. Godwin. I was like, okay. You literally said he looks like a, he's a Godwin. Yeah. Which I was like, what? Well, to no, face... no, that was, that was the, the, the other dude in this match. Well, you said this one did, too. No, because Shanghai wore the mask. Well, still, even then, you still kind of said just by the features that you could see through the mask that he looks yeah. like a fucking Godwin. To face a young 
Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Good old baby buff. Pre-buff. <laughs> Pre-buff is the stuff. Pre-stuff. Pre-buff stuff. <laughs> and someone named Tex Slazinger, who we apparently found out is not only Phineas Godwin, but is also Midian. Seeing fucking young-ass Midian is bizarre. Good old Dennis Knight. It is fucking weird to see that. And first off, the name. Let, let me let me let me ask if there's if there's any way somebody in the creative team from WCW in 1993 was watching this. Listening. Is listening, you mean to, listening this. to this, not watching. If we were on video, that would still be pretty interesting. Who but, you know. the fuck <laughs> thought of the name Tex Slazinger? <laughs> what the fuck is Tex Slazinger kind of? What the hell kind of name is that? Can I also bring up the fact that Jesse the Body Ventura multiple times called the team because Shanghai Pierce and Tex Slazinger, by the way, is the other team that got split up in tag team mm -hmm. matches. He kept calling Shanghai Pierce and Tex Slazinger the Texicans. <laughs> I had no idea why he kept calling. If that was legitimately their tag team name, that is a fucking awful tag team name. The Texicans. If there was a tag team called that nowadays, I'm pretty sure they'd be canceled. I'm pretty sure they would. Pretty sure somebody would in this situation. The Texicans. Yep. Tex Slazinger and Shanghai Pierce. You know what my thing was? They're clearly a fucking, like, Texas-related a Texas -related team. Why is the guy dressed like a fucking luchador? Wearing a mask, yeah. Yeah, with, a like, a Japanese-slash-Chinese name. Yeah. What the hell? Shanghai Pierce. Yet we're fucking a tag team from Texas. Strange fucking thing. WCW creative in nineties in the nineties was fucking weird. Freaking whoever the hell sat there and came up with Tex Slazinger needs something like checked in their fucking brain to look at that and go, that name will fucking stick with everybody. I will remember the name Tex Slazinger for the rest of my life. But again, seeing but anyway, moving on, young Buff Bagwell is very interesting. Like, I, I, it was, again, it was so weird to see young Buff, a uh, fucking young Midian. And not even, this wasn't even, like, American males. Yeah, this is, like, rookie. Marcus Alexander This Bagwell. is rookie Buff. This is pre-American males Marcus Alexander Bagwell. This is fresh fucking just stepped on the scene Buff Bagwell, like Marcus Bagwell. It is nuts to look at. Like, looking at him now, and looking at this, and going that became that is fucking nuts. Yeah. But again, seeing a future Midian is weird. Seeing a future, you know, Henry Godwin of all freaking things, like... 
is bizarre. And Rick Rude, you know, the guy is fantastic. Love Rick Rude. I, every time I looked at him, though, I go, you cannot tell him. At this point, I want somebody to prove to me that Bobby Rude isn't related to him. <laughs> they legit look alike. They do look so much alike. I'm telling you, I think those two are actually like actually related, and nobody fucking knows this at this point. He is a rude to the T at this point. At this point, do it, too. Have him come back. Have Bobby Roode come back and be Rick Roode. <laughs> I don't know if I can deal with Bobby Roode hip-swiveling, but, you know, make it happen. Let's try it. Have him be the glorious gimmick again, but mix a little Rick Roode in there the entire time. I mean, if anyone would do it, it's Triple H. I mean, I just want some more Bobby Roode on TV. Yeah. God damn it. Because I don't know if you remember WWE, but uh, Bobby Roode is employed. Yep. Yeah. Just just going to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, Shanghai and Tex actually gotten, actually went at it a little bit, which was different. Refreshing. Yeah. You know, tag teams that don't want to fight each other, but these two are like, you know what? We're just going to beat shit out of each other because, of course we are. But Rude and Shanghai Pierce get the win when Rude hits the Rude Awakening. So, now Rick Rude and Shanghai Pierce are in this. And then Shanghai and Tex ended up embracing in the middle of the ring, and I think they also beat up Bagwell at the same time a little bit as well. So, And then we finally get to the final... Strange Bedfellows tag match, which I also forgot to mention, this one, the match beforehand was the longest match on the card of or of the tag matches at 14 minutes and 50 seconds. We finally get to the last Strange Bedfellows tag match. We get Road Warrior Hawk teaming up with Rip Rogers who legitimately looks like another 90s jobber at the time. Yep. To face Cole, a.k.a. Booker T, other half of Harlem Heat, and Davy Boy Smith, British Bulldog. So, immediately I got kind of interested at a Davy Boy Smith and Road Warrior Hawk interaction. I don't know why, but I got kind of interested in it. I also got kind of interested in seeing Booker T kind of mix it up with Hawk, which is kind of interesting to think of that Booker T was wrestling at the time Hawk was wrestling. But I got interested to see what they were going to do. This match goes 7 minutes and 55 seconds. With Hawk and Rip Rogers winning the freaking match. We literally got, at the beginning of the match... Hawk makes his way down, Rip Rogers makes his way out, and Hawk ends up dropping Rip Rogers to the point where he's literally got no tag team partner pretty much the entire match. Like, no tag team partner whatsoever. And at one point, for some reason, again, because, you know, strange bedfellow tag matches, we don't get along for who knows what reason... Davy Boy and Booker T, for some reason, don't get along. To the point where it literally just feels like a one-on-one -on -one match between Cole slash Booker T and Hawk the entire time. Yeah, because uh, 
Davey Boy Smith does not even enter the ring. And he's on the apron the entire time, cheering for Hawk. Yep. But the match ends when Hawk... Rip Rogers is, like, the whole entire match laying on the stage. Like, laying on the ramp, because they had an elevated ramp that went right to the ring. Rip Rogers was laying on the ramp the entire time as Hawk is just wrestling away. And Rip finally makes it to the ring. Still hasn't gotten his jacket off. Makes it to the ring, grabs the ropes, pulls himself up, and he's in the middle of the fucking ring. Hawk just picks him up in a military press, throws him on top of Cole, and gets the three count. As, as, am I mistaken here, or did I hear anything about a tag? There was no tag. Referee just was like, let's get this over with already. They're like, all right, well, he grabbed him, so that's considered a tag, I guess. There was no tag, damn it. He was in the middle of the fuck. He was on the ramp, which is in the middle of the freaking, if you're looking at the hard cam, is in the middle of the right side. There is no way they counted that as a tag. I'm telling you, that's what they did. They well, were that like, is oh, well, he, he grabbed him. Ridiculous. So. They were literally just trying to get the match over, so they didn't care. They just <laughs> fucking had Hawk pick him up, throw Rip Rogers on top of Cole, pin him one, two, three, and go, that's it. Because literally, Rip Rogers gets thrown, they get the three count, Rip Rogers rolls out of the freaking ring, Hawk ends up leaving with Davy Boy, and it's just like, wow, what a clusterfuck all eight of these matches were. Absolute mess. We then get to the Battle Bowl, which goes, which at this point, this is like, what, a three-hour show, I believe. Yeah, basically. At the time. We've just watched eight strange bedfellow tag team matches that have not even interested us in the slightest bit. Now the winners of all those eight matches are going into the Battle Bowl, where the winner is going to win a diamond, is going to win a ring. Uh, do you feel the excitement? There is none. The show was so dull and drab for eight strange bedfellow tag matches that by the time the Battle Bowl got to it, I was like, I hope they rush through this. But they didn't. It went 25 fucking minutes. <laughs> My God. It came down in the end to Vader and Sting and Flair and stunning Steve Austin. Earlier on in the match, the the announcer said, I believe it was the commentators actually said that if somebody got thrown it off like out like over the top rope onto the ramp on the ramp side, they were not eliminated, which I was like, okay, that makes sense because again, the point of a battle royal is throw them over the top rope, both feet touch the floor. The ramp is elevated, so it's not technically the floor. Okay, so it, so I understood that. So, there was a lot of time where Vader was throwing people on that side on the ramp, and I'm like, Vader, do you not remember that if you throw them on the ramp, they're not eliminated? It's like nobody told them. Nobody told the competitors, because it wasn't even just Vader. There was multiple people that were, like, clotheslining people over onto the ramp, or throwing them over onto the ramp, or doing anything over by the ramp and I'm like, did, did nobody tell these guys that if they land on the ramp, they're not out of the match. 
So it came down to, the, like, again, the final four. We had Vader, we had Sting, we had Flair, we had Stunning Steve Austin. At one point, they all pretty much go through the middle rope, and they're battling on the ramp. We get the point where Flair gets in a, a brawl with Harley Race. He hits a suplex on Harley Race on the stage, and just doing that, apparently, injures Ric Flair. He just can't make it the rest of this match. Well, it wasn't that. He he hits the suplex on Harley, and then Vader comes in with an elbow that was, like, right in between Flair's, like... Groin. It was, it was, it was basically in his groin area. He drops the elbow right on his groin. He's like, ah! I mean, we did, we did say it looked like he elbowed him in the dick. Yeah. But he, he elbows him there, and it's like... It was... I, I, they took Flair out of the match... And I'm like, oh, great. So let me guess. Flair's going to win this fucking match. He's going to do the whole, they're going to cart me off on the stretcher, and I'm going to come back out, you know, nature boying it up, you know. Fucking about to eliminate everybody and win this damn thing. Nope. They immediately announced Flair is out of the match. So I'm like, okay. But I'm supposed to now care that Flair is going to face Vader, possibly face Vader at Starcade with Flair just getting taken out by Vader anyway, like, yeah, can't wait to see that fucking match when that happens. So we come down to the final three. Vader, stunning Steve Austin, and Sting. I kept, I asked you during the final three, I was like, I have a crazy question, like, that I'm just, it's going through my head right now. If somebody goes on the ramp, it's thrown over the top rope, but lands on the ramp, but somehow, like, if somebody goes out of the ring and throws him off the ramp, does that technically count as an elimination? Right there? But then we literally got my answer not even ten seconds later, because Stunning Steve Austin gets thrown over the top rope, lands on the ramp, and then proceeds to roll off the ramp, and touches the floor, and they count it as elimination. So I'm like, oh, if somebody legitimately didn't go over the top rope, went through the rope, got on the ramp after that one person got chucked over the top rope and threw the guy that th went over the top rope onto the floor, it would have been an elimination. I was like, whoa. I was like, well, thank you for proving my point, WCW. So we come down to Vader and Sting. It's the final two. Vader ends up winning this after Sting attempts... Him and Sting's interactions... Vader and Sting's interactions were great. Yeah. Watching the two of them go at it. Because I know they those two went at it a bunch of times. And I can't wait to eventually, you know, get to those freaking matches between those two. But Sting ends up getting to a point where Vader is on the top rope. He literally muscles Vader up on the top rope with what little energy he had left. And proceeds to go for a Stinger Splash. Where... Vader just rolls off the top rope and Sting just shoots himself out of the fucking ring. And then Vader wins the match. And I was just like, oh my god, fucking... Like, cool, the world champion won. Okay? Yeah. But other than that, like... The, cha the world champion just won a ring. That was it. So we sat through a possibly three-hour show... Of eight fucking strange bedfellow tag matches that were not even interesting in the absolute slightest for a battle royal that literally was kind of just. 
I, I don't even know. Like it was basically pointless. Yes. This entire show was pointless. Yes. I don't get it. I didn't. I. I just. I. We could had not. thirty-two participants battle it out in strange battle, strange bedfellow tag team matches. You cut it in half because four of them aren't in there, so it'd be six. To get to, a ring. So it'd be sixteen people. To get a fucking ring. Yep. It's not for a future title match. Right? Not for, like, I don't Anything. know, like, uh, immunity from being fired. No. It was a ring. Yeah. A diamond ring. The crowd pretty much was the pure definition of how we felt for this show. Like, they got excited for some moments. Yeah. But like, basically, they, most they of They got it, excited for the, the usual, like, Sting, yep. Flair. But most of the time, they were just sitting on their hands. Yeah. Not even making a fucking peep. Like, it legitimately not making crickets. a peep. Yeah. Like, it was just... Th like, this show, to me, was terrible. I, I would... I absolutely will probably never go back and watch this show. Yeah, I I have to agree 100%. I do not recommend that show to anybody. I wouldn't recommend it to a seasoned veteran of wrestling. Yep. I wouldn't recommend it to a... I definitely wouldn't recommend it for a new wrestling fan. Oh, my God. That would fucking drive them away in a heartbeat. It's. It was just... It was a really, really just... I, I want to say boring show. And I, I want to say, like... But I also want to just I, say really Like, bad. two matches in, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's just because, like, it's older style of wrestling. It's 93... It's, it hasn't even gotten to it's like the big focal point, like focal point of yeah. wrestling yet. So maybe that has something. No, it no. Yeah, no, it, it was had not nothing that. to do no. with the time period. It was literally just the concept of this is just bad. Yeah, it all in all bad. Yeah. So now we move on to the horror show at Extreme Rules. July 19th, 2020, in the middle of the fucking global pandemic, WWE moved Raw, SmackDown, and all pay-per-views at the time to the Performance Center, yep. which I know you did not watch a lot of the Performance Center freaking era stuff. I watched, the, I watched all the pay-per-views. So I remember this, but weekly shows, I couldn't do it. The fact that they had, they started with zero fans, I, I, I couldn't do it. Watching wrestling without fans is miserable. It was, it was rough. Like, it was, like, I've, I sat through the entirety of the pandemic era, through the PC era, and the original, like, having no fans thing just not even having anybody there but the wrestlers and the commentators and the ring announcers was some of the worst yeah. like again we celebrated stone cold's 316 day 316 in day the fucking performance center with nobody not a single soul. Yes, they recovered it a lot with the funny-ass shit that happened to Byron Saxton and having the Street Profits come out there and having Becky come out there. Like, it made it better 
But it, again, the whole pandemic was the worst stuff you could have ever like had to sit through being a wrestling fan because you're so accustomed to opening a show and listening to the crowd and knowing this is where you just got to get hyped. You're hearing the crowd get hyped and you're kicking off this show with fucking silence. It was like, oh my God. I was like, I understand the fucking predicament right now, but this is going to be tough. And the bad thing is, is that like, this wasn't even empty. After a while, they brought in the NXT people. Uh Uh-huh. But it was basically like it was empty. Yeah, the... Listen, the... When it came to the Performance Center trainees and a lot of the PC recruits being in the Performance Center for that stuff, it was good to see some people, like some of uh, the sense of people there. But it was like nobody was there because the gist of the noise that the Performance Center people would make was just them banging on the plexiglass. They barely made a peep, like, reaction to, like, anything. And I was just like, oh my god, it's almost like we're just we're just filling the background, but there's still nothing. It's like they became WWE superstars and then immediately forgot what it was like to be a fan. Yeah. It was, it was Nobody so Nobody made rough. a single noise. Like... This is a little bit of a spoiler of the first match. It was New Day. It was for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. New Day versus Cesaro and Nakamura in a tables match. Well, apparently there was a pre-show match, which we missed. Ah, Which, yeah. But, Uh, Cesaro slams Kofi through the table to win the tag team titles. Mm -hmm. Usually, when somebody goes through a table, the crowd reacts. Mm Mm-hmm. Cesaro slams Kofi through the table. Crickets. Complete silence. It Again, they were just filling in the background. And all I had to do was, like, just pretend you're not wrestlers for a little bit and act like a crowd. Pretend you're like a fan just sitting there watching the show. Make some fucking noise. Get excited. But no, they didn't even do it. Like, yeah, we had a lot of stuff where we'd see, like, the music would hit, and you'd see, like, Shotzi dancing, and Boogs dancing, and all this other stuff, and people would dance to other people's music and all that stuff like that, but it was like, that's not what I need. We're in a pandemic era right now where, fucking, we're not having fans. We need some noise here, and you guys aren't compensating for the no- for the, for the silence. You're just keeping it quiet. Yeah. It was so, like... It was disappointing because it was like, I want noise. I just need something. AEW at the time was having their wrestlers be the crowd. And they would make noise. They were making noise. And it was like, WWE was like, maybe we should try that. So they brought a bunch of NXT recruits up. And it was just like, all you have to do is act like fans. Make some fucking noise. Something. But all you did was turn into a, like, background freaking additions. And you did nothing. They just would make, like, some noise by just banging on the plexiglass, and that was it. Like, it was so disappointing, like, like, when, like, I know people hate the Thunderdome. I know people hated the Thunderdome. Yeah. The Thunderdome, to me, was something that was definitely needed. Because they needed noise. Yeah. 
Even if it was piped in. Like, I hated the... In the end, I hated the, the Thunderdome. Like, early on, I liked the Thunderdome. When they first announced the Thunderdome there, I liked it only because it gave the sense of a crowd. You had... Yes, it was the screens of the people that were brought in to watch that freaking like, logged in to watch the show so they could do it, and they were like a crowd. Yeah. You know, but they had the piped-in noise, you know, they, they couldn't, they, there was no way you could get that, the noise off the screen to radiate enough to make enough noise, so they had a bunch of piped-in noise. So, again, it, it worked. It was really needed at the time. The Thunderdome was needed at the time. So, but in the end, yeah, it became very, very bad because piped-in crowd noise got way too loud. Like, just after dealing with it for an entire year, you just got tired of hearing it after a while. It was just like, it was too much after, like, after a while. And when, the, when the, it came down to fans actually returning, it was like, oh my god, we miss these guys so fucking much. This yeah. was so needed. Like, when WrestleMania was the first show to have fans back, it was big. It was a big deal. Mm -hmm. But sitting through this, it was so... It was just like... I, I understood, and I think it was the right decision for what they did, but all I needed was the freaking Performance Center recruits to at least act like fans, in which they didn't. And that's the part that really annoyed me a lot during the PC era. Was the, was the recruits not acting like fans. All they had to do was just pretend you weren't a wrestler and act like a fan. Act like you've been a fan the entire time, just sitting there, make some noise. And they just didn't. Nope. They didn't do it. No. Like, they danced around and stuff like that, like I said. And it was like, cool, I understand that, but it's like, other than that, he barely made a fucking peep half the time. It was almost like we had no freaking people there. So, that, that was my one little gripe about the... The Performance Center stuff. Yeah. Now, I think uh, this show gets a lot of grief because of the situation we, that we were in, that we're in at the time. You know, we're, we just get to the part where we're having the pandemic and, you know, WrestleMania got fucking canceled in the stadium and they had to move it to the Performance Center, which honestly wasn't a bad WrestleMania. It was just really weird to not have a fucking peep yeah. in it. But it was like, they did their best with the Performance Center of what they had. You know, because eventually NXT was there. Which I believe they still are. Yeah. I believe NXT 2.0 is think, still yeah, in I the... Yeah, I think they are still in the... It's still in the... Per, yeah, it's still in the Performance Center, so... Yeah. Which is in the Performance Center, so... In other words... It's like, it worked, even when NXT was in the Performance Center, like after they moved to the Thunderdome and NXT took it over, it was like NXT had more, like, interactions when they had people there, and they'd make noise, like they'd actually bang on the freaking plexiglass, and they'd make noise and clap and everything else, and it was like, yeah. they still had, like, the digital fans, but they had some actual people there making some noise at least, just mm -hmm. something that was actually needed. But yeah, I think that this show gets a lot of grief because of how everybody was feeling Yeah. during the pandemic. It was just everybody was in a mood where they were like, oh my god, I hate everything, you know. 
wrestling was at a time where it was at its lowest. Nobody really wanted to watch. You know, you were you're in the middle of a pandemic where uh, of something that in like wrestling that needs a crowd, and you don't have a crowd. That's something you don't really want to sit down and go. Do I really want to watch them wrestle in front of you know ghosts at this point? Like, no, I don't. But it's like it was literally like they were wrestling in front of like. 70 to 80 lifeless bodies. Pretty much. That would, that are, or like robots that were mm-hmm. programmed to slam against the, pex- <laughs> the plexiglass. But yeah, I think because... Every maybe like 10 minutes. Yeah, I think because of the, the situation that it was, that's why this show gets a lot of grief. But now after re-watching it, it's not as bad. I don't think it's as bad. As everyone, as we all thought it was. Yeah, during the moment, the two major things that were obviously bad outweighed everything. Pretty much. But now looking back at it, you could, ad- not admire, but you could realize that the rest of the card was actually pretty good. Yeah, honestly, I thought the show was better than when I first watched it. Yeah. Because I think, again, it was during, since it was during the pandemic, like, the the beginning of the pandemic, like, stages, Mm -hmm. it was like, everybody was in such a dull mood that even watching a paper, like, even watching wrestling wasn't doing it for them. Yeah. So it was like, watching this, it was just like, huh... It just, it, you I just, want my old wrestling. That's what I'm saying. You weren't, nobody was feeling it the entire time. But yeah. it's like, if you go back and watch it and just kind of ignore, like, the fact that there's really no sound to it and everything and just watch the matches, a lot of it's really not that bad. It's really not as bad as it seemed yeah. that night. The show kicked off. Again, there was a pre show match, but we didn't really watch the pre show. We just kind of went right for the main card here. Yeah. Kevin Owens beat Buddy Murphy in a singles match. I Again, I don't even remember that match because I watched this show live. Well, technically live, I guess you could say. Unless this was another one of those things where it was taped because I know a lot of the pandemic stuff in the PC was taped. Taped Raw, taped SmackDown. Yeah. I almost wondered if they had taped pay-per-views. Like, I know a lot of WrestleMania was taped that for that year's, like, pandemic mania. I know a lot of it was taped. Yeah. But we get we kick off the show with SmackDown tag team titles, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura versus a New Day in a tables match. Going back and watching this, I I wasn't crazy for the Nakamura Cesaro pairing at first because of the fact that it was like they threw them together with Sami Zayn and Yeah. It was just like They were like the the, the artist collective or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, it was weird watching them with Sammy because it was like, the two guys that WWE has always just kind of done nothing with in yeah. Cesaro and Nakamura and you team them up with Sami Zayn just to kind of use Sammy as a catalyst to put them on TV. It was like, I can now look back at it and go, I kind of like it. Yeah. I really do like it now. Like, looking at it, because it's like, Sami Zayn is great, Cesaro is great, Nakamura is great, 
this is during, again, Nakamura's, like, heel run, where he has his music changed so nobody can sing along to it, but in the end, even with the words, people were singing along to it. So, you had that, and again, it's the New Day, like, we've said it a lot, we're kind of falling off, we've fallen off the New Day, being, like, enjoying the New Day, like, it's the same fucking thing between those two, or those three, every fucking time. Like, you don't get anything new from the New Day anymore. Yeah. Like, it's the same shit over and over again. Like, they are way too babyface. They are way too stale. It's There's nothing different from them. If you watch the New Day now, you'll get the same thing in 2020. Mm-hmm. You'll get the same thing in 2018. You'll get the same thing in 2016. Yeah. It's rough. It's... They're literally... They're ringing the new day out as much as they can, and they're at this point. It's like they're ringing it out, and it's like they're twisting and twisting, hoping some sort of more liquid will drain out of it. There, there's nothing left. No, and the new day is beyond over, not over in the the good way. Over in the sense of, well, new day. New Day will basically always be over. Yeah. But, when I say over, I mean, there's nothing the New Day can do. Unless they do, do like, a complete 180. And do they have to do something with the New Day to make them interesting nowadays. Or they're just they're just doomed to be, like, stale. They, they need a complete overhaul. All three of them. Yeah. They need a complete overhaul. Something. But going back and watching this match, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I did. We got new tag. We get new tag champions in the end of this. Cesaro and Nakamura become the new tag champions after a avalanche Ricola bomb by Cesaro mm-hmm. through two stack tables. After they took Kofi, after they took Biggie out and they power bomb Kofi through the two tables, it was just crazy. No matter what angle they kept showing it at, it still looks freaking crazy every time you watch it. So, again, at the time, with New Day being the champions, I think it was time to pull the trigger on Cesaro and Nakamura. Like, people, again, were starting to really sour on the New Day. It was just, again, they're getting the same... Even now, they're still getting the same shit over and over again. And it was just like, okay, let's uh, put the titles on somebody different now? Cool, okay, we'll go with that. And the more I think about it, with Cesaro... When they put him in a tag team, no matter who it was, he never missed. Nope. He never did. When they put him with Swagger, nailed it. When he put him with Tyson Kidd, nailed it. When he put him with, when they put him with Sheamus, nailed it. When they put him with Nakamura, nailed it. Like, don't get me wrong, there was a, a time of Cesaro and Nakamura where it was just kind of like... Yeah, like, out of all those teams I just named, probably the more dull one is with Nakamura. But it was still enjoyable yeah, somehow. Yeah, he, he, he still did the best with what he had. Yeah, and Nakamura did too. Yeah. Nakamura made the best of what he had going for him at the time, so... And again, it was just... It was good to see new tag champions because I, I thought it was time to because that was around the time New Day were champs and I was just like... 
Alright, well, I'm not enjoying this New Day shit. Let's yeah, kind of get the titles on somebody was, different here. This was title reign number eight for the New Day. Was it really? And holy yeah, shit. Because Biggie says, clap for your eight-time champs. Damn. And what are they at now? Like, 11? Something like that. I don't know. So within two years, they were able to win three-plus championships. And I can't even remember a single reign. I don't remember a lot They're of them. They're basically the Charlotte Flair of Tag Team. I don't remember a lot of them because... New Day as a whole really just dulls me out. Again, they just dull me out. Like, like after a said, while, they're, they're, Char they're the Charlotte Flair of the tag team division without the entitlement. Yeah, like I said, I get that their merch sells and they're over with people and all this other stuff, but it's just like... Uh, and at this point, you don't even have to, like... Turn one of them heel no. or do some sort of, just move them on. Some move on, make them all singles competitors. Yeah. New Day, in general, they don't need to feud, but New Day as a tag team has run its course. I mean, unless you want to give us New Day in a, in a triple threat, I, I don't, I don't want to. I mean, I told you, I've said it multiple times. I did my damnedest during Big E's title run, and even a little bit during Kofi's, to try to come up with some way that you could get a triple threat with New Day for the WWE title without turning them. That was the plan. was just sitting down and trying to come up with any plan that involves you having the New Day face each other in a triple threat. Honestly, at this point, it's just, I just ra rather them not even wrestle. Just move on with the new day. So yeah, right off the bat, in a rewatching this, a really good sh way to start the show. Tables match, very enjoyable. We then follow up, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey with Sasha Banks defending against Nikki Cross with Alexa Bliss. Now, this was in the process of Nikki becoming Nicole Cross, where she was just kind of becoming, you know, this coffee drinking, generic, you know, you know, very basic woman wrestler. You know, she was still very good. It was in between, uh, the when she, her and Bliss got done, mm -hmm. and that it was like before her and Bliss, like Bliss became the Fiend's sidekick, yeah. and Nikki Ash. Yeah. This is way before either one of those, but still. Uh, again, I guess well, this actually, was... I don't, I don't think it was much longer before this until Bliss became... Well, the Bliss thing... Yeah. Uh, sidekick. As far as I remember, the Bliss thing happened in the PC, if yeah. I remember correctly. But just, again, this was the start of kind of... This was still like in the process of Nikki kind of shedding the, the crazy gimmick... And just kind of becoming this basic woman. And I was just like, oh man, I don't like this. Like, everybody loves Wanna Play Nikki. Why would you get rid of it now? Like, I wish they'd bring it back now. Because the Nikki Ash thing, I'm sorry. It's it's run its course. It's not working. It is not yeah. working. I'd rather watch Crazy Nikki team with Piper than watch Nikki Ash team with Piper. And the thing is, is like, 
Nikki A.S.H. wasn't even given a chance. Like, the gimmick no. wasn't even given a chance. No, it they swept just, the fucking rug underneath it. was just abandoned immediately. They swept the rug out under it as soon as fucking Charlotte won the title back. They didn't give a fuck. The minute they gave her money in the bank, I go, fucking cool, we finally got somebody different who wins money in the bank, I can't wait to watch it, Nikki cashes in successfully, and I'm going, this is fucking cool, I love this, it's good to see Nikki as a champion finally, and then of course, what happens, good old fucking android fucking 900's gotta come in there and do her usual fucking thing and kill every goddamn thing, because if it's not about Charlotte, it ain't about shit, you know, like, fuck off. I hope she never comes back. I hope her and Andrade got married and she just was like, I don't know if I'm ever coming back. Good, stay gone. Don't come back. Don't need fucking Charlotte on television. I'm sorry. Her being gone doesn't change anything. Because as soon as she comes back, we're getting the same old fucking Charlotte. Yep. You can friggin' talk about it like, oh, we'll get a different Charlotte. No, as soon as Charlotte comes back, we are getting the same fucking abysmal fucking Android Alpha 5, ay 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 fucking all over again. But then we get Bailey. The at the time women's champion, her and Sasha as women's tag team champions, the pandemic was their era. Yep. Bailey and Sasha ran the pandemic era. If if they were looking, one of the if you're few. looking at MVPs for the pandemic era, you're looking at Drew, Oscar, and Sasha Boston Hug Connection. Yep, that's just to name a few. Even Rollins at the time was another one. Yeah, yeah. You had freaking Bobby Lashley. He was a was a one at the time. You know. And Apollo Crews actually getting some love. It was Sammy just like, Zane. right? They had fucking a lot of people. Like there was people in the pandemic era that stuck out, and it was worth it. Mm-hmm. But this was during Bailey's incredible SmackDown Women's Championship run. Again, her and Sasha were the tag team champions. Just absolutely incredible. I would, I, again, I will say it every time. This was their time. Yeah. They freaking ran this shit. When it came to the pandemic. The two of them took tag titles. Bailey had the SmackDown Women's title. They took the ball and fucking ran that son of a bitch. Yep. There was no stopping it. Those two freaking carried the, the were part of the reason uh, that the pandemic era had something enjoyable in it. Now this match, I have to say, was not bad at all. This was actually pretty good. Yeah, it was a pretty good match. Again, it, again, we were in the process of getting Nicole. We were still kind of in there, like getting Nicole Cross, but she would come out with her old want-to-play theme, but it was just like, we still saw Nikki. Yeah. She was still just as good as she was. You had Bailey in there looking, like, fantastic like she always does. Bailey ends up getting the win after Sasha gets tries to, like, interferes. Alexa Bliss gets up on the ring apron to intervene there, and in the process before she got up on the, Sasha got up on the ring apron, she had slipped her, like, finger, like, giant ring things that she carries, where it says boss time on it, she slipped the boss part in there, Bailey put it on, she punched Nikki in the gut, she gave her the rose plant, which I have to say is a, still a terrible finisher, <laughs> I know a lot of people shit on the Bailey to belly, but I would rather it than the rose plant, yeah, 
the rose plant is just like we were talking about it while watching the show. Yeah, the rose like, plant is the terrible. headlock or snapmare driver. It went from nobody using it to everybody using it in a split second. And no like, matter what, it still comes off looking terrible every time now. Like you had Ambrose when he was in the shield doing it before he started doing the dirty deeds. Then he stopped doing it and started doing the double underhook DDT. Yep. Then nobody used it until uh, LA Knight came in. Well, EC3 was still using it at the time. But... Well, yeah, EC3 was using it. And then uh, Bailey adopted it as the Rose Plant. Then LA Knight came in and started using the Snapmare driver as the yep. BFT. It's just like that move, no matter how you do it, Snapmare version, the headlock version... It's it's not effective. Yeah. It's not. It does not look good. At least with the headlock, it you have more maneuverability and like you could you could actually like determine how it goes. Well, even the, the snapmare snap one. The snapmare one sucks. Well, I mean, the snapmare one can work. It's just you have to have the right person doing it and the right person that knows how to take it. Yeah. A lot of people that do it know how to do it. But the person who's taking it doesn't know how to take it. Yeah. For shit. Like, a rose plant, to me, is just a weak move because it's like, you get, Bailey gets them down on their knees and all she literally does is turn the freaking arm in, grab the head, and just kind of push her face down. Like, Matt Taven does that move. That same move where he does the step over, locks the arm in, puts the headlock in, and does it, and it looks great every time. And it's just like... People know how to take it. He knows how to deliver it. Yeah. That's one of those things. But it's like, I watch people like L.A. Knight do the, the Snapmare version, the BFT. The person doesn't know how to take it. Bailey's is just a poor setup, and it's poorly done, no matter what. Like, it just looks like a terrible move. I would rather her win with the Bailey to Bailey than that anytime. But she wins with the Rose Plant after the shot with the boss part of the ring in the gut. Very good match, though, honestly. Again, this was during Bailey's incredible women's championship run. So, kept that going. Fantastic. So, right off the bat, you got two strong matches on the card yeah. that just, so far, goes very well. We then follow up <laughs> with Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio in an eye-for-an-eye match. Now, for those that don't know what an eye-for-an-eye match is, commentary would tell you 9,000 fucking times that the only way to win the match was when one competitor extracted an eye of their opponent. I remember this feud very much. The pandemic-era stuff of this Mysterio-Rollins feud is the better stuff. After the Dominic SummerSlam debut match, it all goes downhill. Except there is the tag match. There is a tag match, which I cannot remember which show it is, of Rollins and Murphy versus the Mysterios. And it's great. Yeah. But after that, it's like everything we saw every single week was Rollins and Mysterio. It got so drawn out. I swear, this whole thing went a year. 
if not longer. This shit was never ending. It, it definitely felt like it, it was just so drawn out. I have to say, though, the match that him and Raw, that Seth and Ray had as their final match to end the feud completely was great. Yeah. But we got this. This is a match that a lot of people, I think, forget is a thing. Because some people, I think, want to forget it exists. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. When you watch this match, you're going here and you're looking at eye for an eye. This is just coming off of Seth attempting to gouge out Ray's eye on the steel steps. And Seth had this weird fucking obsession for months on just trying to rip people's eyes out. You had, again, this was like crazy Seth Rollins. Before we got, you know, whatever this Seth Rollins is now. Yes. This is Messiah absolutely fucking insane Seth Rollins. So we're coming off Ray getting his eye gouged to have this match where it's like Seth goes out and says that Ray, we're going to have an eye for an eye match and literally I'm going to put it to the point where you're not going to be able to see your son get married. You're not going to see your wife anymore. You're not going to be able to wake up to another sun, like and see another sunrise like the shit's crazy when you look, when you watch the whole, like, video package leading up to it, and you go back and watch this entire, like, beginning half, so, like, beginning part of the feud. It's fucking crazy. Now, when this match got announced, I'm looking at it and I'm going, now, how in the absolute fuck are you going to have these two have a match and legitimately gouge somebody's fucking eye out? That is the most bonkers shit I have ever freaking heard of. But the thing is, as we talked about, this match does not happen in front of a crowd. Yeah. Absolutely not. Literally cannot happen. The The only way this match can happen is in an, an environment like this where they could pre-record it. Yep, which they did. This whole match was taped. Yep. I have to say, up to the ending, this match is great. Legitimately great. You have awesome. Seth and Ray beating the snot out of each other. They're using things, trying to rip each other's eyes out. But in the process, they're still having a match. Yep. And the wrestling part of it is fucking great. It is great to watch. Overall, the match itself, before the finish, is fucking awesome. It literally is awesome. Like, I, if, the, if there was no fucking stupid kind of finish that they could have if they just had a regular match this is a fucking great match to have but we get to the point where Ray attempts to gouge Seth's eye out Seth fought it off Ray hit him with a stomp and then went to attempt it again he gets Seth pretty much inches away from trying to gouge his eyes out on the step Seth hits him with a low blow, hits him with a kick, and then proceeds to finally get Ray back towards the step, because Ray had taken the patch off of his mask. Yeah. Which to is, show, like, a, yeah. a pure white contact. Yeah. 
So, again, I like how they tried to play it off. That, you know, his eye is fucked up. So he kept saying, I'm going to put you, this is where I'm going to get you back for what you did to me and all this stuff like that. But in the end, Seth gets the advantage and fucking gets Ray's eye against the step. Seth literally is like walking around furious, getting ready to go do more damage. As he comes back, he looks at Ray and Ray is holding his eye. And when the camera zooms in on Ray, you just see this like prosthetic eye just hanging like right there to where you could see it. Yeah, and you can hear Ray Mysterio. It's like, I need a doctor. It's out. I need a doctor. I had surgery five times in my left knee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that has to do with his eye, but you know. (laughs) Anyway, Seth Rollins vomits from the look at it, and the match just ends. Like, it's all freaking good until you get to the ending. Yeah. Legitimately watching it in the end, you go, oh my god, did he, like, legit pop his eye out? But then you look at it, and you just see this prosthetic eye, and you go, really? Well, that's kind of cheesy and fucking stupid, like... But it's also, like, you can't expect them to literally... Exactly. You can't expect Rollins and Ray to go into a match and be like, yeah, you know, I'm willing to pop my eye out. You know, just... (laughs) That's the fucking thing. Like, I know Vader did it. But that's an accident. Yeah. But, like... And that's because he went into a match with Stan fucking Hansen. That's one of those things... This is one of those matches where a lot of people were like, are we legit about to see, like, some blood and gore during this fucking match? And it's like, there is absolutely no fucking way WWE was gonna go through with popping a fucking eyeball out. No way. Yeah. So, again, yes, the ending was stupid. Seth throwing up legitimately looked like he put some fake vomit in his mouth and threw it up. Like, it didn't look legit vomit. Like, it looked like legit vomit, but when you, like... Like, if it it was vomit, there would be a lot more, because it was, like, maybe three tiny little blotches of vomit. But, again, the match itself was awesome. It was really awesome. And it's, like, even with the shitty finish, I think just the match itself really just keeps this whole thing looking strong in the end. Even with the kind of cheesy, corny-ass finish. I think the rest of the... I think the whole entire match we got leading up to it really is that strong of a match. That I can't really turn... I can't really say this is bad. Yeah. Because for the time... Like, the time of what the hell we were in right there, and you see this, you're going, damn, that's nuts because again there is no way this match happens yeah in the, unless it's in the pandemic unless it's in the fucking performance center where they could have taped it in the moment of watching this match the the finish definitely completely ruined the match 100 mm-hmm. percent. i remember saying that i remember going it the match was so good and that finish was just a fucking dud yeah and don't get me wrong it's the still finish is it's still, still a, a dud, dud. <laughs> yeah but at least now the match itself, the the, the action and the, the competition and the wrestling of it, mm-hmm. it it does the, the finish may still be a dud, but 
but it's still it was still a really good match. Yeah, it's a really really like great match. Honestly, what else can you really expect from Ray Seth, and Seth Rollins yeah. and Rey Mysterio? Yeah, at the time, again, early on, these two did amazing in this feud mm -hmm. before it got drug out and boring, and everybody couldn't fucking wait for it to be over with. We then follow it up with the Raw Women's title. Asuka, accompanied, the Raw Women's Champion, accompanied by Kyrie Sane versus Sasha Banks with Bailey. Now, this was at the time where Bailey and Sasha were both SmackDown stars. Yep. Asuka is the Raw Women's Champion. Now, at the time, of course, also, you have Bailey and Asuka, or Bailey and Sasha as the Women's Tag Team Champions, so they're allowed on both shows. Mm -hmm. So it made sense. We get to the match, and I think this match is great. I do. Like, there's a couple spots where it's kind of sloppy, but most, but pretty much the rest of it is really great. I think it's a great. I think it's a great match, until you get to the finish. I, I, I have to say. I know, I've been on the show and I've said this multiple times. We've all said. Us on the show mm -hmm. have said, that Charlotte is, the worst of the four horsewomen. Yeah. Which. Yes. Yes. She is number four. To me, and I know this is a very, very hot take. Oh, it's a hot take. Don't worry. Like I said, I don't I don't really agree with you. Like, I and still I'm have a hard sure time. I'm pretty sure I've said this on the show before, but I, know but this I is have your, to say it again. I know this is your take about it. This is how you feel about Sasha it. Sasha Banks is three. She is quite possibly the most overrated women's wrestler in wrestling today. There's probably only about two people that I know that would probably agree with you. And that is Ryan and Vinny. Sasha Banks is so overrated. People gas up Sasha Banks for how great of a wrestler she is. When in reality, she has three moves. In her entire moveset. <laughs> Before winning the SmackDown Women's title from Bayley, her, her, like, five title reigns that she's had equaled less than 100 days. Now, I know that has everything to do with booking, and that has nothing to do with her. It also has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of them were dealing with Charlotte. Of all fucking people. I just... I don't get it. Yes, this match was good. But no matter how many times I watch Sasha Banks wrestle, I sit there and I go, Oh, wow, look at that, another Meteora. Oh, oh, I wonder what you're going to do. Oh, wow, yep, another Meteora. And, uh, oh, she's gonna, she's trying to put in the, back, the bank statement. That's, that's shocking. She's never done that before. 
Uh, oh, there's there's a there's a backstabber. I wonder. Oh, she's trying to put in the back statement. Okay, there we go. Um, oh, here comes a here comes a meteora. Uh, here comes a meteora from the second rope. Here comes a meteora from the top rope. Here comes a meteora off the apron to the floor. Here comes a meteora into the corner. Here comes uh, double knees uh, draped across the ropes. Uh, here comes some. Uh, here comes another meteora while they're they're seated on the ground. She's overrated. <laughs> if I... people bash Brock Lesnar and John Cena, I did this <laughs> ten years ago. I bashed John Cena for being five move John. I did it. I did it. I bashed him for doing the the. The, the sit-out back suplex, the five-knuckle shuffle, the STF, the AA. I bashed him for it. <laughs> and you know what? I, I stand my ground. Back then he was four-move John. But guess what? Sasha Banks is three-move boss now. <laughs> She's three-move boss. <laughs> Get a fucking move set, Sasha. <laughs> I mean, she has the frog splash. Your move set can't be bank statement fucking attempts, meteoras, frog splash, and actually locking in the bank statement. <laughs> Get a fucking move set. <laughs> now that that's out of the way, this match was good. Yes, it was. After the 14 meteoras that she <laughs> I thought it was really good. Again, there was a few sloppy spots. But I thought it was a really good match. And then you get... But the ending was the one where I thought you were going to be like, Oh, God. Like, oh, no. The, the ending sucked. It, it turns into a fucking circus. This match... Like, they they got, like, maybe 95% through booking this match. And they get to the final 5%, and they're just like, Oh, uh, did, did, did I hear that Vince Russo called? <laughs> oh, sh oh, maybe You know what? Let's have him book this. And Vince right, Vince Russo goes, goes, Hey, yo, listen here, bro. How about, how about Kyrie Singh gets involved, Bailey pulls her down, she fucking takes out Kyrie, Asuka in the meantime puts mist in her mouth, goes to spray it at Sasha, sprays the ref, Bailey comes in, hits the ref with the belt, or hits fucking Oscar with the belt since the ref is down. She puts the fucking referee shirt and counts the three. <laughs> it did feel like a Vince Russo finish. It really did. It was a fucking... It was an absolute jumbled mess. Because after the whole... They took out Kyrie. Bailey tried to get involved. They got rid of Bailey like, immediately. Like, the referee... Like, Bailey threw one of the tag titles in to distract the ref. She got in the ring. The ref got back into freaking, like, to catch her before she got to, like, she did anything. Asuka took care of her. Kyrie was there trying to support freaking Asuka the entire time. They took out, she took out Kyrie. Bailey gets back involved. Like, Asuka tried to get mist in her mouth. Sasha tried to use the title to hit Asuka. The referee had, a, like, a tug of war with Sasha to get the, the, the other tag team title away from her. Asuka went to shoot the mist in uh, Sasha's face. She caught the referee. The referee's there blinded. Asuka takes care of Sasha. She's got her in the Asuka lock. 
attempting to get her down for the rest of it. She ends up getting nailed in the back with the championship by Bailey. It it was it turned into a mess of a freaking booking. Where and then Bailey putting the referee shirt on, counting to three. Nobody knows what the fuck the finish is. Like Bailey's yelling at the timekeeper to ring the bell. The bell guy he rings the bell. There's like no announcement on what the hell's going on with the entire thing. Like it was a jumbled mess at the end, and the, like that pretty much followed after a really good match. Yeah. So. Bailey's walking around giving Sasha the Raw Women's title, telling her, hey, the Raw Women's title is, like, you won the Raw Women's title. Like, it turned into, a, like, a freaking craziness, like, and I look at it and I go, it, it's weird because of what followed. You know, we had the whole thing where it came down to the Raw Women's title on the line, we had the Asuka-Sasha rematch literally the next night on Raw, where Sasha won the title. Bailey ends up jumping Kyrie Sane backstage to where Asuka's like, title, best friend, title, best friend, title, best friend, and she chooses her best friend and runs off and gets counted out. Where literally it was by DQ or, pinf or pinfall submission, DQ or count out, we were going to decide the women's champion at the time. And then Sasha wins the title... But since she was a SmackDown person at the time, like, WWE didn't recognize her as champion until literally the following week. Yeah. Like, they didn't, like, say she was champion until they didn't start, like, saying she was champion until literally the following week. I was like, oh my god, like, what a jumbled mess that was. Like, absolutely mad. Like, it, it was... It was an absolute circus. Yes, but in the end, again, Asuka ended up winning the title back when she had that the match with Bailey and Sasha in one night. She fought Bailey first, lost to Bailey, and then proceeded to beat Sasha. That like later on in the night. Yeah. Again, this was earlier on. This was literally like months after. Money in the Bank, one of the craziest Money in the Bank matches. You know, we got the fucking pandemic freaking Money in the Bank, which is still so good. an amazing freaking... I, I, I still love that they did that. The fact that they took both the men's and the women's participants in Money in the Banks, put them all in WWE headquarters, put the fucking briefcases on a truss up top of the fucking building... And said, fight your way to the top and grab those briefcases. Absolutely one of the most unique, clever, and amazing things they've done. I want it again. Yeah. I don't even care if it's been if because of the pandemic. I don't care if it's because of X amount of reasons. I want it again. I want to see it again. It was so fucking cool to watch. Right off, coming right off that, and Becky getting pregnant, and Oscar getting awarded the Raw Women's Title, you know, and that this is how it ended in a jumbled mess. Like I get Bailey and Sasha, and even Oscar were carrying the pandemic, mm -hmm. so you had to keep some way of keeping it interesting. But it was like, whoo, this kind of became a, a circus after a while. But yeah. again. 
those three really did carry the pandemic. They really did. Yeah, I will they, say it every time. They were the real MVPs. Yes. So again, show's looking really good so far. We this is a. It says seven match, but it's six matches on the pre on the main show, and we are three matches in. No, four matches in, and it's been a really, really, really good show so far. Yeah. Honestly. We then come to Drew McIntyre. Freaking MVPs of the pandemic. The at-the-time WWE champion. Just coming off the defense of beating the big show, which I fucking hate saying. And actually beating Andrade, too, on Raw, because I can't forget the Andrade thing. That Andrade thing with Drew is something a lot of people forget, but it was pretty solid for what it was during the pandemic. Drew McIntyre defending the WWE Championship against Dolph Ziggler. Now, the story going into this was, of course, Dolph bringing up the whole, you're only here because I brought you here. Which, again, I understand the story a thousand percent. I get it. But if you look at it, this literally turned Dolph into the, it should have been me, to the, you're only here because of me thing. Yeah. It's it's not, it should have been me, it's because of me, freaking, <laughs> like, so, going into this, we had this, the secret stipulation, again, we've had the, we had the whole interactions week after week, Drew McIntyre had Dolph Ziggler pick the stipulation, Drew was confident enough that he could have Dolph Ziggler pick the stipulation for their match at Extreme Rules, at the horror show. Dolph would not tell him until the day of the show. So we get to the announcements and all this stuff, and they get ready to start the match. Dolph gets the microphone and proceeds to say, again, he kept saying it was a stipulation that we have never seen before. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So what could that be? Immediately, Dolph goes... The stipulation is an Extreme Rules match. So I'm like, but that's a stipulation we've seen before. He then goes, an Extreme Rules match for Dolph Ziggler only. And I'm like, ah, so that is something different. He goes, also, you can't get counted out. You can't get disqualified or else I win the championship. So legitimately, Dolph can win, has extreme rules behind his like behind him. So he has no rules. And now has every possible way that he can win the WWE title. I like it. I did. I like that. You force the bait that is a freaking awesome heel move. That's a big dickhead heel move and I like it. I do. When a heel can come out there and go, hey, I can use weapons, you can't. You think you can get away from me because you want to get counted out to try to save yourself from keep from losing your championship? Guess what? You get counted out, you're losing your title. You try to get yourself disqualified because you can't take it? Literally, that's what Dolph said. If you can't take it the entire time and try to get yourself disqualified, I win the WWE title. I'm like, that is such a fucking clever stipulation. I love it. 
That's great. The, that's a heel move right there. You give yourself all the fucking chances to win the title as humanly possible while they have to wrestle a singles match. They cannot get disqualified. They can't use a wep they cannot use a weapon. They can't get themselves counted out. Nothing. Yeah. I like love we, that. We were saying that more people should do that. Right? Why has no other heels done that? That should be a thing. Mm -hmm. Some other heel during a freaking big feud with a baby face should go, Hey, I have apparently where I have no disqualifications. I'm about to go in this match with you where I can pretty much turn this into a no-holds-barred match. You have to wrestle a singles match yeah. against me. So, like, literally, you can't get disqualified. You can't get counted out. Like, you can lose by count-out. You can lose by disqualification. You can lose by me pinning you. You can lose to me by freaking submitting. Put all the stakes on them to where the babyface overcomes the odds, and it's a big freaking deal. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And again, this match, really, really good. Mm -hmm. Really good. Drew wins with a kip up into a Claymore. Absolutely. Dolph Ziggler absolutely eats shit. The, this whole thing of just watching Drew throw around Dolph on a few occasions is great. Yeah. Dolph getting thrown around is great. Dolph freaking using the, the stipulation to his advantage is great. Like, overall, this match is great. As much as much as I'm not, like, the biggest fan of Dolph, because he's always, like, here and then he's gone, here and gone, here and gone, here and gone, like, I, there, there's no doubt in my mind that he's easily top three sellers of all time. This is, again, a lot of, this is some really good Dolph. Yeah. At the time. Like, we don't see Dolph a lot. And when we do, we gotta enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I and I, I enjoy it. A lot of the time when Dolph isn't here, I go, my God, I wish we had Dolph Ziggler. And then we get Dolph Ziggler back, and I go, thank God, we got Dolph Ziggler again. I know Marcus does not like Dolph Ziggler, but we're not gonna go there right now. So literally, the show has been really, really good. Honestly, it's been better than what we expected. You know, again, watching the show live at the time when it was there, it's not that... It, it Again, you feel so disappointed just because of, you know, the situation the world is in. And it's just like, I don't even think wrestling's going to cheer me up at this point. You know, everybody's in a bad mood. Everything. But then if you rewatch it now, you'll look at it and go, hmm, it's not that bad of a show. We get to the main event. Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman in a swamp fight. Now, I understand the story. I do. Coming off Money in the Bank, we had Braun versus Wyatt, and they started telling the story about Braun coming home. Bray was telling it too, you know, at the end of the Money in the Bank match, you had Braun show up with the sheep mask, the black sheep mask he used to wear, yeah. to the point where he took it off, broke it, and then ended up beating Bray, retaining the Universal title. Because again, Braun Strowman was the Universal Champion at the time, after beating Goldberg. Yeah, because he took Roman's place. Yes, which again, was to me the right decision. Mm -hmm. I think it was. And it, literally having Braun beat Goldberg that night was the right decision. 
if Goldberg had beaten Braun Strowman, Braun Strowman probably would have never recovered. Braun Strowman would have never been the same if he had lost to Goldberg that night. I think they made the right decision to this day, and I was glad that we at least got to see something of Braun Strowman as a champion. Yeah, before he was released. Right? So again, coming off Money in the Bank, you're starting to tell the story. And again, week after week, you're telling the story of Braun coming home. Bray eventually goes back to Eater of Worlds Bray. Which I'm like, holy shit, this is really, really interesting. Yeah. Like, you get Bray using his alter egos, like, different styles of himself. You know, he went from Firefly Funhouse Bray to Eater of Worlds Bray for this moment. And I'm like, damn, this is really fucking good. We get to this match... Well, what's supposed to be a match. Yeah. It was... It's one of WWE's multiple excursions into the cinematic match world. 2020 was the year of cinematic matches. Not Every, even not even just for WWE. Yeah, a, just a, in AW, wrestling in yeah. AEW had a lot of involvement with it. Impact even kicked into the freaking cinematic Impact match. started it. It all. Well... Early on, but they were doing it before the pandemic. Yeah, like, like I said, but yeah, they but, were the one to start it all. But even during 2020, Impact did a cinematic match. That was the uh, Sammy Callahan yeah. and Ken Shamrock, which was very, very interesting. And even recently, they did a cinematic match, didn't they? They did the one with Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan, which was fucking yeah. nuts. That was nuts too. But I don't, I don't know if that... That wasn't pandemic era, I don't believe. But I might be wrong. But we get to this. WWE was doing cinematic matches up the ass. Like, you had the Boneyard match. The greatest thing... Way to send off the fucking greatest of all time, in my honest opinion. Yep. The Undertaker... Like, legitimately, I had tears in my eyes, and I applauded that. I literally stood up and applauded... It was literally... The Boneyard match. It was... Flawless. Yes. It was beautiful. The, the, again, the greatest way to send off the greatest of all time. You had the fucking Firefly Funhouse match, which again, it leaves a lot of people confused. You know, a lot of people, I think, still have mixed feelings on how they feel about that match. But I still do. I don't know how I feel about that match still. I think I personally think that match is great. It's it's, it's unique. It's, it's not even it, it's not even technically even a match. It's That's what I'm it's just so in the mind good. of Bray Wyatt coming from the mind of Bray Wyatt, I think it's very unique it's, and I think it's, it's so very creative. very good. But it's like watching it and I go, you're supposed to tell me this is having a match. And this isn't a match. This is just a bunch of skits jumbled together. That eventually kind of ends in a match. If you think about it. Yeah. But it's like, at the time when we watched that, I was sitting there scratching my head going, I don't know how I feel about that. I really don't. But again, 2020 was the year for WWE to have cinematic matches. Again, the Money in the Bank. The WWHQ freaking Money in the Bank was cinematic. Again, I they, they did so well with the a lot of the cinematic matches. We get to this, and it's cinem again, it's a cinematic match. So I'm like, okay, this should be interesting. The entire thing 
starts off with like Bray sitting in the chair, in the rocking chair, with the lantern, waiting for Braun, who pulls up in a vehicle, gets out and confronts Bray, and then Bray like disappears. Yeah. And on the side, you see the sign that has like, like abandon yeah. all hope, ye who enter here. Yeah. Like Braun picked up the 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 rocking chair and threw it against the wall, against the sign. It shattered into pieces. Braun walks in, and again, I'm like, the story is, like, the big driving point of this whole thing. Like, if you think about it, it is the big driving point of this whole entire feud here. The story is the biggest part of this. So I'm like, okay, because even then, they kept having flashbacks. They'd show stuff of Wyatt and Strowman. They'd show stuff of the Wyatt family, you know, decimating other people. So I'm like, cool, that they're using the story, and I love it. But I'm like, it's a swamp fight. I'm like, the two of these guys should be fighting while telling the story. But basically, we just get, like, these random nobodies show up, and Braun's fighting these randos, and then gets, like, he decimates the two of them, and then gets hit in the back with a shovel. Goes down, and he he turns over, looks up, and he's face-to-face with his old self. Wearing the black sheep mask, he pulls it up and knocks out current brawn, older brawn, like past brawn, knocks out current brawn with the shovel. Yeah. To wake up to brawn tied in the rocking chair. Not even tied, chained. No, chained in, yeah, chained in the rocking chair. We get the whole Bray Wyatt showing up to where brawn is chained up. With the old Bray Wyatt music playing in the background, he's carrying the lantern. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. And again, they're they're in there telling the story, but nothing's happening. Like, everyone's expecting a fight, and they're just telling the story. Yeah. I'm like, that's cool and all, but I can we get the other half of this right now? Like all you're doing is telling me the story that I already know the story at this point. This match was basically all story and no action. Pretty much. Like, we got action in the end, but it was like... The problem is, like, there's there's nothing wrong with a lot of story. No. But there is something wrong with a lot of story when you already know the story. Right? A lot of, like, everybody that has seen the Wyatt family knows the story of Bray and Braun. And and Harper and Rowan. Not even that. Even if you just started watching, Braun and Bray did an incredible job playing off the feud and the story... In the beginning. Beforehand. So I'm saying Before this match, they went over basically their money, everything that you needed to know. The build to money in the bank was the start. You knew what was gonna you knew what you were getting from here on out. You were gonna get a story, but you were also gonna get matches. Yeah. But we got to this and it was all story. There was no action. Like barely any. There was action, but just not with Braun. Yeah, right? Brain. It's not the two people that you would expect freaking fighting. It was Braun beating up other people. At yeah, first. He was beating up some mashed dude, some other dude, some guy also tried to attack him with a shovel again. He looks like nails. He looked like nails. Yeah, he looked like a skinny nails yeah. or an older Dominic Dijakovic. 
He almost rolls into the fire. He does roll into the fire. He gets lit on fire. Oh, he do. Yeah, you missed. Did you not see that? No. He took a fire stunt. The uh, guy. So he gets freaking lit on fire. Braun goes to go look for Bray, and runs into like the ghost of Alexa Bliss. That's what I thought. It, that's what it looked like. Yeah. Like a lot of people when I when they first saw that they're like, "She's Sister Abigail." Look, which, yeah, I understand. I can get it. Okay, but she's sitting there saying like. You know we were meant to be together and stuff like that and trying to entice Braun. And I'm like, I like that. That's pretty good. You know, you're playing off the whole Alexa and Braun from Mixed Match Challenge with Team Little Big. Yeah. Which is cool. I like that you played into that. And it was enough to entice Braun to go onto the dock where Bray pops in through the fog and starts... We finally get some action between the two of them. And they're like... Braun slams. Bray Wyatt into a boat. Which is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. But they just start fighting, and they're, they're finally fighting. They get in the water, they're fighting. Like, Bray's trying to drown Braun. Braun's trying to drown Bray. Eventually, you know, they finally... Braun finally gets the upper hand, and in the end, like, both of them go underwater, and then Braun comes back up, and he climbs out of the dock. He climbs up on the dock, and he lays there to catch his breath, because he's choking on the freaking nasty swamp water. He gets on there, Bray gets up on the freaking dock, and starts, like, attempting to, like, murder Braun again. We finally get near the end where Braun literally kicks Bray off the dock, like, like through, through, yeah, like, through the railing. Yeah, through a railing into the water. Bray falls into the water. There's like, we don't see Bray come back up. Nothing. Bray doesn't come back up. Braun goes to the edge of the dock and look. He literally climbs down, and I go, "What the fuck are you doing? Why did you have to go down the steps to look and see if he wasn't there?" Just look at the end of the dock. If he doesn't pop his head back up out of the water, then it's over. But he goes down the steps, and you just hear him go, It's over. And that's when the end graphic came up. And it was just like, oh, I still remember the night of when this happened, and the graphic came up. I'm like, oh, that was it? I'm like, I get, I understood that you were telling the story, but you pretty much already covered the story. Now it was time to keep the fight going. We didn't get really much of a fight. We got some, but not a lot. The The end graphic came up, and Braun thinks he's safe, and all of a sudden Bray reaches up, puts Braun in a mandible claw, pulls him into the water. They're both in the water. All of a sudden, just both of them are submerged. They're both underwater. Suddenly, the water turns red, starts bubbling like crazy, and then the fiend pops out on the edge of the dock with the freaking scary, creepy-ass mask just smiling at you, pops up out of the water at the edge of the dock, the camera zooms in on it, and we fade to black. Now, don't get me wrong, the fiend coming up at the end of the freaking thing is terrifying. Yeah. Love it. That was, that was incredible video photography. Yes, love it. Love it. The fact that he just comes out of the water. Yeah. The fact that he comes out of the water and just 
stares dead into the camera with that creepy-ass mask. Like, the fiend mask is terrifying. Like, if I ever woke up in the middle of the night and saw that fucking fiend mask looking down at me, I'd be running. The fiend mask is honestly one of the best masks of all time. Yes. It is horrifying. And that was how the show went off the air. And it was just like... To me... Okay, I understood the story. And that was kind of what... Again, you could interject the story and the match together. But mostly all we got was story. Yeah. We got some of a match, like a fight, but it was like, most of it, like, in the beginning was Braun fighting other people. It wasn't Braun fighting who he was supposed to be fighting. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember watching this show originally, and I remember watching the match, and I was like, you know, that wasn't, like, it was clearly the worst of the cinematic match that they've done, but it mm-hmm. still wasn't terrible. And I remember saying that also about, like, halfway through the show. I was like, you know, I remember the swamp fight. I, I remember not, like, thinking hating it was... the swamp fight? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't remember hating it. I don't remember it being too bad. But then we get to the match, and I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. um, yeah. He's not, he still hasn't fought Bray, and we're about 12 minutes into this match. This match went, this whole thing went 18 minutes. 12 minutes of it was story. A big majority of the the match, quote-unquote, match was just story Braun sitting in a chair. Yeah. A lot of it was, again, a lot of it was story-driven, and again, there's nothing wrong with telling a story, but it's like, you expected two different things, and you basically only got one. And there's that of a story random... that you've already kind of gotten the gist of early on. Yeah. And there's that random moment where he's like, they, like, suggest that he got bit by a gigantic anaconda yeah, fucking snake, snake like, like boa constrictor. Yeah. Like, I was like, did Braun legit take a snake bite? I highly doubt That would have been crazy if he did. But in the end, like, yeah, the, 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 the swamp fight kind of falls flat a little bit, but it's like, and we didn't check out the pre-show match, but, like, basically the card is really good. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, other than the Swamp Fight, and then the ending of Rollins Mysterio, and Asuka and Sasha. Yeah. All the other, like, wrestling-wise, it was a great show. Yeah, honestly. Like, it, again, I think because, like I said, the night of it happening, I understand people in the end feeling disappointed by it. Yeah. Feeling like, eh, alright, well, that was uh, a thing, you know, nothing really else to say about it. But it's like, going back and watching it now, if you, like, again, even if you're not watching it for the kind of, you know, non-existent fucking PC people just not making a fucking peep. Yeah, that that would, I would probably say that's also another con, which is yeah. the, the, the PC trainees slash yeah. NXT superstars, they... Like, like I said at the beginning, they became WWE superstars and forgot how to be a fan. Yeah, if you're, if you're, if you pay, if you avoid that whole entire thing and just watch the wrestling, the matches are actually from good to really good to possibly great. Yeah. Sometimes, like they're like they're in that range. Like, yeah, the swamp fight kind of falls out of them both. Like again, I still think it's the the weakest of the cinematic matches they've had. Like, 
even the New Day Wyatt family cinematic thing they had, yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah, like that wasn't that wasn't bad either. For at the time when they were like, it's our first break into the cinematic matches, like it was pretty solid for mm-hmm. what it was. Like, yeah, New Day had to fight a lot of people that weren't the Wyatt family, but when they finally started fighting the Wyatt family, it was like it wasn't too much of them fighting randos. And then, like, barely any fighting the Wyatt family, it was, like, the perfect amount of each. Yeah. So it was, like, fine. So it was actually a pretty solid start for cinematic matches for them. So, because even they had Bray and Matt Hardy, which was, and Matt Hardy, which was actually really good. Yeah, that was the, the, the lawnmower. They that brought was, back the lawnmower. That was very enjoyable, mm. that whole entire thing. So, again, I think Extreme Rules... Just, I, I think people need to go back and rewatch it. Yeah. And see if your opinion changes on it. Because ours kind of did, rewatching it. Mm-hmm. Battle Bowl, on the other hand, is a whole different story. That was yeah. a honestly big flop. Poor show at Extreme Rules. I would recommend, not highly recommend, but just, I would recommend watching it. Give it Especially give, if you, if, if you had a negative opinion about it before, go back and watch it yeah. now. It'll change everything. I know it's the pandemic stuff, and you're probably not crazy for having to sit through the pandemic stuff, but it's a it's a it's a decent show, and I would suggest I would say go back and watch it. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend you go back and watch it, but I would say I'd put it as a suggestion to go back and rewatch. Yeah, if you have see the if time, your opinion changes. If you have the time and have nothing else better to yeah. do, take our word for it. Yeah, like Take I said, chance, I don't recommend you like immediately say you need to go watch this. Maybe your in your opinion will change. I'll suggest it as a thing. Yeah, and see if your opinion changes. Mm-hmm. So that and, is it for us. And like we said, Battle Bowl, no, just yeah, don't. No. Yeah, if if you if you really, 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 really want to watch a show that is just mind numbing, mind numbing, and makes your brain feel like a gigantic bowl of soup sure i would have said oatmeal or freaking just gunk but or, or just mush all together just don't bother with battle yeah. bowl uh, uh, maybe i would say watch it just to see if you agree with it i mean you don't again you don't have to agree with it but if you do just to sit i'd say watch it just to see if you do agree yeah but Anyway, that is it for us. I'm glad we did this. I think it's time we tell us what we got next. Something that I'm very interested in what our next classic pay-per-view is going to be. We rolled No Way Out 2000. Yep. The main event is the big one that I can't wait to watch. Triple H versus Cactus Jack. Hell Hell in a Cell cell. for Cactus Jack's career. Title versus career. Absolutely cannot wait to see that again. Love that Hell in a Cell match. So, want to see if the rest of the card leading up to the main event is worth something because, I don't know, like, looking at the card from seeing what it is, I don't know how well it's going to do, but I know the main event's going to be nuts because that main event is one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches you'll see. Absolutely. So, that is it for us this time. We will be back. We will probably be recording our next, our big usual week of wrestling on Saturday. It'll either be out Saturday or out Sunday. 
you know, we'll be getting this out so you guys can listen to this. So you at least you get something from us, something different from us, you know. So you get a double header for us for classic pay-per-views. We'll be doing a single one again next time. And then again, keep going from there. We just did the double one because, again, with Battle Bowl, we thought, you know, wasn't really a lot we were going to cover in with Battle Bowl. So we went with a double header and had the other one in there. So, you yeah. know, so I enjoyed doing that. Yeah. So, again, I, I'm enjoying the hell out of doing these. I am, too. Classic pay-per-views. I like doing our regular, normal, weekly show, but I like doing these, too. Yeah. I like adding this in there, just as a little twist. Something different. So, again, you can find the show on multiple different platforms. If it's not on a platform other than Apple, because I can't really fix the Apple situation, but if, it's on a pl- if there's a platform that you use and you cannot find the show and it's not on there... Let me know, and I will see if I can get the show on there. Like, like, and do everything else with the show. Like again, and follow us on Twitter. Follow me at JustinTime211. Follow me at JeremyInTime721. We'll be back with another brand new one for you guys. Until then, we are out of here.